Tonight's episode of Colors of the Dark is brought to you by Fright Rags. Now in their 18th year, Fright Rags has been bringing you the best in horror apparel and accessories since 2003, offering a wide range of products for your favorite creature features, slasher flicks, and cult classics. Officially licensed collections include hit titles like John Carpenter's The Thing, Evil Dead, Creepshow, Jaws, the Halloween franchise, and so many more. Fright Rags has you covered in horror, literally, from your head to your feet. This week, they've restocked 10 highly requested socks to ensure that your toes stay toasty, all officially licensed and available now at fright-rags.com. Stay tuned Wednesday, February 9th for their officially licensed collection of the upcoming Netflix-exclusive Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Colors of the Dark listeners get 10% off when they use the code COLORS10 at checkout. Again, that is COLORS10 at checkout, so go visit fright-rags.com. Welcome back to Colors of the Dark podcast. I'm your host, Howard Kane, and joining me, as always, is Dr. Rebecca McKendry. Sup? You look what I call frazzled. <laughs> it's been a day. It has just been a day. It's the only way I can... You appear how I feel, so it's funny that you're the one coming in <laughs> frazzled, but I felt frazzled all day, and now I feel good. Um, I literally um, just became like, you know, the moment that I picture in films where when I sat down, I sat down with such gusto, all of the papers on my yeah. desk flew up. Um, true story. I, I saw it. True story. And then I had to sort them the fuck back out, and it's just been a day. Um, but you know what? I'm actually looking forward to talking about some of the stuff that I have seen this week, and um, this is this is me relaxing. So okay, yeah. well, I, I I can't wait to talk to you about one that you should have watched more than me, and it's just weird that I watched it and you didn't. So this will be a great way to jump in. Okay. Oh 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 oh! I think I was going to d- guess. Does this oh. one have a shark in it? It has a shark for you. And a Silverstone exploitation for me, and it's uh, it's Crush meets Jaws for the Revenge, uh, or Excess Baggage meets Jaws for the Revenge. Whatever you want to call it, this is called Requin, I guess. I don't know how you say that name. Requin, Requin. It's French for shark. I looked is it, it really? up. Really? Yeah, I looked oh. it up when the trailer Man, released because I was like, I kept thinking, like, is it supposed to say Requiem? And then I was like, no, no, it's like the French word for shark. I am so, so disappointed by that because I thought it meant it was like <laughs> I thought it was like a Meg. I thought it was like it was short for like massive shark. Uh, so just finding out it means shark, it's like, oh great! Now every language can just name a shark movie in their name. I don't like. That. <laughs> I'm against this now. Anyway, I don't want to take away from the glory that is this film directed by Lee Van Keat. Uh, you know, don't listen to the Letterboxd one and a half star reviews. Which is why I chose not to watch it after I started looking at those. Okay. It takes a lot for me to not watch a shark movie. Yeah, but like, okay, what I'll say about this. Is it a crap movie? Undeniably, yes. <laughs> um, is it look cheaply put together in someone's backyard? I 100% believe so, but... You're not uh, convincing uh, me, Elric. Here's the part I want to tell you about that I'm really happy to find out about myself. I find Alicia Silverstone now as attractive as I found Alicia Silverstone then. And that means something to me. Like the fact that I was equally as a 20-year-old attracted to 20-year-old Alicia as I am 40-year-old Alicia. That makes me feel good about myself. So this is really about me. So as a mirror to my desires, 
I felt good about this movie. <laughs> I really want people to understand that we can age gracefully. I uh, know she, I, I always like her and I'm always hoping she wins. And uh, it was interesting to see her in this. It's, it's, it's kind of up your alley in some ways. They don't pull it off completely the, the mm-hmm. narratively. It just kind of goes in these weird circles when the sharks become the part of it. But the buildup is pure lifetime movie. It feels like, and it's shot pretty well initially. It's like a couple who have just, I guess she was trying to have a baby really late in life. I guess that's what they don't really say it, but they show her trying to do a home birth and it doesn't work out and the baby doesn't make it. And so she's there grieving with her husband in my God, are they in the Bahamas? I can't even remember where they're gone. Um, Indonesia somewhere. And they've bought, they've rented a little, it's cool. It's cool. I kind of would love to do it. So it's like a little, um, like a little bedroom that's floating. Mm-hmm. So it's away from the shore a little bit and you're just floating on like your own little separate island. And it looks really nice. And they're on that for the first part. And I thought that stuff was actually really cool. They're on there. They're trying to figure out their shit. They really care about each other, but they've obviously got this big kind of uh, grief to deal with. And she's got, it's kind of, you know, Alicia's best when you don't ask too much of her. Like if she gets to just be cool and fun, <laughs> she's really good. When you get to say, oh, but you're also grieving a, a baby and you've got to fight sharks, it's like, oh, you might be asking a lot of Alicia. Excess baggage, she just had to like punch Benicia. That was nothing, you know? So did, compared to all her other filmography. Did you say how great she is in this? Like literally, I thought I heard that convo. Like, No, it was more about how I felt about her physically and emotionally as as like a you know possible mate. I did stand next to her once and she was feeding her kid and i was feeding my kid at you know that crazy um fair we go to that's the where fair. i saw willow from buffy at yeah no me too i saw willow there twice i think and jack but, but yelling but, yelling at her kids to put on her damn shoes that i was like oh i've been there but if you don't understand the attraction here it was alicia wearing a flannel shirt okay so okay okay whatever that is i don't know but it was special so she was doing that <laughs> so basically i mean i feel like i'm a producer on this film in a way just by association of being near her 10 years ago anyway um but this film it, it it's very cheap and 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 as you go like that part all looks good and then they they there's a big storm and the little houseboat just basically goes off into the middle of the ocean and so was it then, not like tethered to the land in some capacity it might have been but it's a really bad storm so like it, it messes up the whole you know it's, but to be honest is even though the st- some of the storm stuff's a little cheap I was totally with this movie I must say for like the first 30 and and I I kind of enjoyed watching the whole thing but once the sharks start coming, it does that classic. I know Sam Fuller's shark did it, and you've talked about others that do it, where it's like a mixture of actual just random shark footage, like real yep. sharks, and they're mm-hmm. trying to make it feel like they're the ones, but then occasionally a really fake, you know, artificial, either a CGI at one point, it looks like a big, it looks like a, a kid's stuffy. <laughs> I mean, it's not as bad as that, but it does. It, there were a few moments that I was like, it's what? The giant, like, four-foot shark from Ikea that every kid yeah. owns. Yeah. There, it, does, it does challenge the roaring shark of Jaws 4. There's a moment that I found even more silly in this, but, but it's always straight. I mean, the weird thing is they're not playing for camp or jokes. This is like you know, because of what she's gone through, it's really straight. And, there, and there's some good, couple good scenes with her and her husband. And I won't ruin past there because like what happens, but he gets cut on the foot and that's what, when the blood starts to draw sharks to it. Um, but it kind of like, as it goes, it makes less and less sense, like physically where they are and stuff. It's one of those kind of things that, it, and by the end, it's just, it's not a good movie, but I kind of didn't, I, I think you might kind of mindlessly enjoy watching. You probably wouldn't want to pay for it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, but you know, as a shark and a Silverstone Ploitation fan. This is the oddest review I think you've made. 
ever given because it's simultaneously kind of glowing yet disparaging and a dating profile (laughs) like it's really fun but don't pay for it and Alicia's great but don't ask a lot of her and the sharks are cool until you see them (laughs) yeah I mean it's you know it's it's not Amy Heckerling directing this thing so let's just like but but it was like I mean it's been universally like destroyed but I thought I was going to be the one not liking it. So when I first gave my kind of like one and a half star, but then after the weekend, I was like, but I can't lie. I, there was no moment in it where I wanted to turn it off. I was like, what is going to happen next? This is insane. So, so for that level, you, I think particularly would probably be able to get like, enjoy it on that level. And I can frankly say that I think I've probably seen the worst of the worst as far as shark. Oh, I'm sure. Go, yeah. To the point where it does give me an appreciation of things like cruel jaws, because it's not the absolute worst I've and- seen. That and better than some of the sci-fi type, like the real cheap, um, bad CG ones. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel it was like it just had a little bit more going for it because of people, the people on screen, the story, I guess, you know. Now, but, I, um, I do get so frustrated. Um, and this it's not as commonplace now, like like sci-fi to their credit. They tend just to say, let's CG the whole shark. Um, yeah. But it was it started being really commonplace in the 70s where they would cut to you know, fake tiger shark or real tiger shark footage. And then they'd have one giant animatronic um, that looks nothing like the footage that you've been watching. And it's really frustrating. And I find those even harder to engage with. Yeah. I prefer um, the fake but, sharks ultimately because yeah, they. I'll take a fake shark any day. Yeah. Cause you buy into it. And once you're in, you're in, I agree. We watched that. We talked about that treat Williams one from the, late 70s uh, night, of, night the of the shark, shark. and it's mm-hmm. just like the footage it was recycled in three other shark movies yep and i mean it is the reason that i like the shallows as much as people complain about how cg the shark looks in that i would rather have that a cg shark that gives me something that is like otherworldly or holy shit that's a huge shark and it's actually performing the way that they want to yeah. then cutting to just random shark footage where i'm like what am i looking at it looks like it's just turning around i don't even understand what how this because it does not perform the same as whatever we're going to see in CG. Has um, anyone ever done, I would like to see personally, and you're going to school me on them not actually being dangerous here, but I would love to see a hammerhead film. Oh, hammerheads ham- are very dangerous. Hammerhead um, shark attack. I want to see a hammer movie just called Hammerhead and, you know, uh, and have them all like battering people. Supposedly, <laughs> and and don't I don't know history as well as I know my sharks, but supposedly most of the uh, fatalities at the Indianapolis were hammerheads. Mm-hmm. At least that might be rumor. I don't think I'd read that in a book. I think I was like literally told that by another Jaws fan. Um, but you've but never yeah. seen that on screen, right? Like hammerheads. Hammerheads. I've seen hammerheads in sci-fi films. Oh. Um, they don't get a lot of screenplay in shark exploitation movies by any stretch. Yeah. It's always great whites. It's always kind of pulling from Jaws. Um, and you'll occasionally have your like weird little send-offs of like, this is a Mako, this is a tiger shark. But 99% of the time, it's going to be a great white, um, which is a shame because I like bull sharks. But yeah, and cookie cutter sharks. They just don't get a lot of love. I don't know the cookie cutter, but listen up. They used to. They used them in Shark Night. Um, very briefly. Oh. They're the ones, they're smaller sharks, but they Is that take the 3D like, one? Shark Night 3D? Uh, yeah. They yeah. basically, a cookie cutter shark, it's like got a melon baller for a mouth and it literally mm. takes like a hunk out mm. in like a perfectly round cylinder. Um, and I think it'd probably take a lot of them to kill you, but I find it to be kind of amusing. So we need a, um, <laughs> I play the layman and you play the scientist uh, YouTube show about like nature. <laughs> 
just like the nature where I'm like, ooh, that's cool. What is that in nature? And then you tell me descriptively. <laughs> I would watch that. Remember that I stopped being an entomology major my freshman year. So my knowledge is probably pretty limited. Because you needed to fill the rest of your head with shark stuff. I know. I know. So, and that said, I do read a lot of geek novels so or nonfiction novels. So somewhere in there, I guess I learned about the cookie cutter sharks. So yeah. All right. Um, but if we ever do decide to have an actual aquatic expert on, I did get contacted by um, one of the ichthyologists from, I want to say it was one of the aquariums in San Francisco or San Diego. I think it was San Diego um, who listens to our show. So I feel like we could have an actual fish expert on at some point to join us. And that's us. what ichthyology is? Ichthyology is study of bony fish. Oh, bony fish. Yeah. See, this is what the show is going to be. <laughs> Just going to be me asking dumb questions. Like, so what is that exactly? I Can it kill sh- me? <laughs> Everything can kill you. Um, well, I'm going to riff off your lifetime comment. All right. That was like the, the nerdiest segment. Um, that isn't the nerdiest segment I've ever yeah. done. But I'm going to get kind of um, stupid smart for a second here. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go with, honestly, the best thing that I have seen in a long time. Archive 81 was great. But man, this just hit all my sweet spots. Netflix released the new series, The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window. And you see the trailer and it's got Kristen Bell. And I remember seeing Twitter that day and it was like, is Kristen Bell in a Lifetime film? Because it looks like a Lifetime film. It hits every note of a Lifetime film. It clearly is kind of part of, and these are their own subgenre that we don't really talk about a lot on the show, but the woman in the window subgenre. It's massive in Lifetime. It's massive in horror mystery books, things like um, The Girl in Cabin 10. Um, It's just, there's this massive subsection of white women seeing murders from afar and then being told they're crazy whenever they report them. And there was an actual straight one of that last year you watched um, mm-hmm. that had, who was it? It was a major, oh, major actor. a redhead from Hannibal Why is my brain stroking Julian Moore? Uh, Julian Moore was then. And it, it was like mm-hmm. Joe Wright directed, but it was like meant yep. to be a big movie. And then it kind of got a dump release onto Netflix and people were like, it doesn't quite work, right? It's yeah. Gonna- there are so many of these. Like if you watch a lot of Lifetime movies, these are their own Subgenre, like I could name at least 10 off the top of my head and as many novels to go along with it. There's just, it's this old, and it, I mean, it's very much like Rear Window, but now they do them with soccer moms. Hmm. Um, so this, by all accounts, I approached thinking, okay, so it's going to be like a high caliber lifetime series with the same woman in the window setup. Kristen Bell is in it. I watched the first episode and I'm like, this has an odd tone. I don't know exactly what this is trying to do, but it's just got this odd tone. There's all of these weird absurdist moments. Some things seem over the top and I wasn't too sure what was going on, but the setup was interesting enough and the tone was kind of quirky that I was like, I'm going to stay with it. By the time I get to the second episode, it is such a fucking satirical farce like that. And I'm telling people, Stay with the first episode because you're going to see what it's meant to be by the second episode. This is literally like Paul Verhoeven made a Lifetime film. Mm. It is just hitting everything, but it plays it so close to the vest at times where you actually feel like you're watching a Lifetime film. And then this like fucking bonkers thing just comes out of nowhere. And they're making fun of a lot of these woman in the window tropes throughout the entire thing. But again, they're playing it real close to the vest. It's very much like if you had to think about showgirls 
the showgirls of a lifetime movie. This is it. Um, it's, it's just so fun. Um, the narrator is Kristen Bell and, or the narrator, the protagonist is Kristen Bell and she is drunk and takes a lot of pills. And so she's a ridiculously unreliable protagonist to begin with, which is always part of it. Um, part of the woman in the window setup is always that there is a reason that you can discredit her. Oh, you're an agoraphobic who has hallucinations. Um, oh, you're, you know, you drink too much, you were blind, you know, you don't know what you were seeing, you were drunk that night. It's always part of the story. So they build that in, but she's not just like slightly drunk that night, like she drinks bottles upon bottles of wine a day. Um, But total over the top farce, poking fun while also kind of lovingly giving a hug to this entire subgenre. There are so many just over the top moments in this And the one that I will talk about popped up on all types of social medias this week because everybody was like, oh my God, the sex scene. So a lot of these movies will have a sex scene where suddenly the woman in the window who saw this horrible thing will find love again. And then there'll be like this small little romantic moment. This cuts to like a five minute sex scene of them having sex in the least likely, most absurdist and most uncomfortable places ever. Like on the stairs. On the kitchen counter with plates under them, in the shower. And it's just like all of these like weird places and it just keeps on going and going and going. I don't think a lot of people are getting this in the way that I think the director intended it. This is the director who did Heathers. And, oh, okay, um, yeah, and what yeah. and with so, the ti- also what the title is like the, clearly a satire. It's literally of every possible yeah. movie like that from going it's, back to movies from the '30s, like Girl uh-huh. in the Window or yep. Woman in the Window or whatever. Yeah, it's literally a series of prepositional phrases, which I right. think is brilliant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the whole thing. At, when I'm seeing things, even at, when I posted last night that you know I thought this was like such a brilliant farce. Underneath, somebody wrote like brilliant farce or just shittily made. And again, it's going back to like how Paul Verhoeven, like a lot of people thought. She Showgirls was garbage. A lot of people are confused by Benedetta now. So like, it's just kind of going back to the, that that's the way that satire works is you have to kind of embrace something to find ways to subvertedly poke at it. Um, but this is, it's a blast. I'm having a trip with it. So, yeah, I was confused. I thought it was a movie. So it's a show. It, no, it's it's a sh- limited series. Like, I don't know how they would keep this going because it is like, I feel like the joke might run out after a little bit because yeah. it is such a pointed satire they might be able to keep it going but as it is now it is a limited series with a very clear beginning and end um eight episodes and they're only like 25 minutes each like it functions more like a sitcom format wise um and because of that they're quick it's just like a quick burst like i i binge the whole thing in two days um so that is the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window now you never watched ozark right no, I didn't. I just caught up to where it is, and it's doing an interesting thing where this is its last season, but it did half a season. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. And at the halfway mark of this season, it has one of the most like punctuated, holy fucking shit moments. It cuts to black, and I'm like, okay, next episode. And there's no next episode. And I was like, no. <laughs> um, I think you'd find it interesting because it's so, it goes so dark 
with mm-hmm. what this family get themselves into with drug runners and they're living those are trying to like launder it's it kind of really won me over after a couple seasons but uh so i'm i did get up to date not really horror but it kind of goes dark so i guess uh, there's a number of tv shows throughout the course of my life where it did that where it got up to this like oh my i remember the british version of um life on mars did that ah, where it got that. to this point the british version so much better than the american mm-hmm. one um but it got to this point of like oh my god what's about to and then it's canceled um pushing daisies did the same thing where i remember just being like this is a bit oh it's gone i think santa clarita diet did that too oh the um, wor- i mean the worst all time i mean i loved carnival and oh, yeah and they got that second at least they knew when they were in the second season they were being canceled so they kind of were able to sum it up but it wasn't this they were planning to do three and it was such a good show if, if anyone hasn't seen that first season it's like it's man it's, yeah it's really great carnival horror that is a whole episode that we should cover yeah. is horror TV shows that were canceled too soon. You're right. There's a whole podcast called Canceled Too Soon. I've I've been on it before. Oh, okay. Nice. I can't remember which episode I was on, but yeah, I was on that probably five years ago. But yeah, yeah I don't think it's, it's a good one. one. Yeah. It's a good show. It was a good show. Um, but anyway, you've been at Sundance. Yes. That's why I've got the tan. Um, I was sitting in my room um, watching Sundance. I will say this <laughs> about Sundance Online, and I really hope... They listen to the people, and I hope all film festivals kind of take this on. Uh, I don't think that if you show some of these movies online or you show all the movies online and maybe limit it with seats and ticketing, uh, that you'll have any less people going to Sundance. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem is they, they do it this way, and then they freak out that, oh, we can't do it in the future. It's like, no, I think you really can. I think you can have your cake and eat it too, because it's such a pleasurable thing to be able to watch some of these in advance. The tickets are only 20 bucks, so it's more than going to the movie, but it's still, hey, it's better than not being able to see a Sundance movie. And but it's, it's a really good insane. server. Yeah, no, and it's a good server. They've got it down. I mean. Yeah, and I honestly, that has been one of my big takeaways from the pandemic is there are certain things that I wish would come back. I kind of miss like opening night premieres. Like we're not seeing those as much as we used to where we get to go to like the opening night press premieres. There's just like a beautiful fervor for everybody seeing a movie for the first time. But with festivals, I've been able to go to festivals that I would have never have gone to in person. Um, yeah, but and, it, and like I bet that. it hasn't killed you wanting to also go to festivals, right? Oh, no, not at yeah, all. I, I miss yeah. being there. Yeah. But suddenly, like, I had never gone to the Brooklyn Film Festival before, and it was probably not one that I would pay for the plane ticket across to the country and take off a week from work. Like, if I was there, yeah. I would definitely go to it. But I, I'll say it never been at the top of, like, my destination list. But holy shit, I got to see every single film at it. And it's a great fucking festival. And now I want to go in person. Yeah, no, that's what um, I do think that's that argument where it's just like by opening things up, you actually, I think you actually hook more people mm-hmm. and you expand the circle of who can do these things. So I, I hope in the future, like next year, let's say there's no pandemic. I hope Sundance is in person, bustling and because the business will always flock to go in person. So, you know, your layman's can stay at home. Anyway, Sundance was a blast. I enjoyed doing this for my second year in a row online and I saw a good five things so i'll do maybe i'll do a couple and then you do you've and you saw one uh, i saw one i didn't get to see it yet but i really want to see it so we'll um okay so one of, there's two great ones um two like two of the best films of the year and then a three that i you know were interesting uh one of the best ones first one called fresh and some of these i'm gonna go super light on because mm-hmm. especially this one because it's just it has twists that are just super fun but uh it is a it opens up with a girl uh doing online dating and really not into it and she kind of bemoans the fact her friend maybe she should just give up uh trying this and she is walking through a supermarket and she meets a very 
attract, well, he kind of introduced himself to him in a pretty forward way, played by Sebastian Stan, who's a, you know, the winter soldier from Captain America. So major, mm-hmm. major uh, guy being in a horror film. Um, this is directed by uh, Mimi Cave is her name. And uh, I think it's her first feature. And uh, he, you know, kind of convinces her to go on a date. They go on a date. Things go well. He convinces her, you know, they have a nice night together. And she's always talking to her best friend. So she's pretty smart. And she does all the cool thing about this movie. She does all the right things in modern landscape. Like if she's going to be with him, she gives her address where she's going to be to her friend. Like she's just smart. And um, he basically says, hey, you know, we should go out to my house, which is a little further out for the weekend. And she's like, oh, I guess so. And he, there's no there's no real red flags about this guy. Mm-hmm. And they go away for the weekend. Uh And from there, you can imagine she's not coming back. Let's just say that from this weekend and what happens on this weekend in this house uh, is really fucked up. And it, and it's one of the, but it's also funny and it's also weird. And the, the commercials and all the stills will already spoil. You, you can tell from frame one, like, okay, Sebastian Stan's going to be something. You don't know exactly what it's going to be. Um, but it's pretty wild and he operates a specific service to people with lots of money that I've never thought of my, the darkest recess of my mind could not have drawn up what this movie is actually about. And it's, but it, they do it in a way that's also quite funny. And I, I really can't say anything more because if I do, it will really ruin it. So uh, it's going to get a big release. I could tell this is a big movie. Like this is one of those horror movies wow. where it's kind of, it's not going to be as big as get out by any means, but it's got similar um, tonal, where it feels scary, but also feels modern, and it's quite funny. Uh, the both both Daisy Edgar Jones and Sebastian Stan get great roles, and this one's actually produced by first time he's done horror, um, Adam McKay. So, Anchorman, and this year he has the biggest movie of the year, which was um, Look Up, Don't Look Up. So mm-hmm. he directed. So you know, very different movie, but yeah, I really recommend this one. I think people are going to have a lot of fun with it. Great, great female voices in this. They are really funny characters, like what written in a way that I haven't seen many people nail. Um, very modern. So, uh, yeah, this is fresh. So definitely keep an eye out. I don't think this has a release bit, but like I mm-hmm. said, I think it'll be theatrical. This one, excellent. And that was called Fresh, right? Fresh. That fresh. was one of my. That'd be my second favorite, though it was probably like objectively the best thing I saw, but my personal second favorite. Fantastic. Well, so I saw or you go. Yeah, you something in the dirt. I'll jump in with this one. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this is Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead's new film, produced by David Lawson. And that's basically it who made the movie um, because they made this at the height of the pandemic. Um, Like literally like it was like fall of the very first year. I have time has no meaning anymore. So I have to define things like in the long, long ago, Um, right as we were in the thick of the pandemic, like August into fall was when they were making this film which is insane to think about. And just from talking to Lawson while this was going on, it was basically just the three of them. It was like them working the camera, them working the audio equipment. Um, You know, they'd have small groups help out here and there, but it was such a small crew. This was also, Lawson had just had a baby at this point. So I'm like all types of impressed that they were able to make a film right afterwards. Um, The setup of this is that, it's set in a really um, low rent, run down Los Angeles apartment building that um, Aaron Moorhead plays somebody who is already living there. And then Justin Benson plays a bartender who has moved in. And uh, they both seem down on their luck. They both, it's all about character. This movie is all about character. They're both very down on their luck. They're very disappointed with the turns that their life has taken. They are very open to acknowledge that it is not a good apartment building. It's, you know, there's a lot 
to be desired. Um, and that both of them have kind of done these spots where their, their lives went severely wrong. But the very first night that Justin Benson's character is there, this weird phenomenon happens in his apartment where all of a sudden things start floating and all these colors come out. All of these weird rainbow lights start just lighting up the room like all of these visible spectrums. And he finds all of this weird math stuff written in a closet. And he and Aaron Moorhead's character neighbors um, become obsessed with it and start trying to make a documentary about what's happening in his apartment, Hmm. researching the apartment, researching the land itself, researching what it could be, what could be causing it, trying to figure out how it's all breaking down. Is this in some way like another world? Is it time travel? Is it a different um, parallel universe? What is it that is causing this weird phenomenon? And it escalates too. the, The phenomenon, it starts out just lights, but I won't say anymore, but it, it escalates. And so the whole thing is drifts back and forth. And this is, I was really impressed of how they kind of tonally manage this. It drifts back and forth from a mock kind of like a, a faux documentary showing the actual footage that they're recording um, and to a third person narrative of it being like a, a regular film about them making the documentary about this. Um, just a lot going on in it. Like there was just a lot that I was really feeling. It feels like a pandemic movie because it is about these two guys feeling trapped, not knowing what to do, feeling like their life didn't turn out exactly what they wanted, just kind of sitting around waiting for something to happen. Like that is a huge chunk of the movie is them just them kind of sitting around, existing in the space, talking about where their lives went wrong, waiting for the phenomenon to happen. And it's captivating. And it really does kind of embody a lot of what I think we were feeling during the pandemic. This doesn't answer as many questions as a lot of their prior films. Not that any of their questions like carefully lay out what's going on. This definitely gives you a lot of different options. Um, and it still sets up that nice breadcrumbs of, of what might be happening. Um, it's really good acting though. Like honestly, Justin and Aaron just really knock it out of the park with this and how small it is. Um, there's so much smoking and drinking in it. That is literally 90% of the movie is them smoking and drinking, mm. um, which is kind of fun as well. But just really um, good acting and clever use of what they had. Well, I hope some people see that micro feature. Otherwise, those guys are going nowhere because they, <laughs> they didn't just make an entire Marvel series of Moon Knight. I know, I know. Like and the that's world what- is going crazy for us, so. And this is honestly, this says something about their artistic intent Mm -hmm. that they could be in the middle of the pandemic, kind of knowing that they've got Marvel stuff coming up and still be like, I'm bored. You want to go shoot something and then just do it. I mean, like it's, it's what I loved about resolution. It's what I try to get my students to aspire to be is that you don't need a studio or $10 million. You just need like three friends and a camera and you can make something. Um, So yeah, that is something in the dirt. Definitely check this one out. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited when that comes out. Yeah. We'll definitely get um, the gang on when it comes out. We'll get Justin and Aaron and Dave on. Yeah. Very cool. Um, So the next one I saw was called master. Uh, Here's an interesting fact. I saw five brand new horror features and there's probably only about eight or nine in the entire slot. Mm -hmm. And four of the five were directed by woman. So there's definitely a shifting 
uh, happening, which is cool, nice to see. And, and people from all different backgrounds too, like worlds I hadn't quite seen represented before, as we'll get to in a sec. Anyway, this one is called Master uh, by Mariamo Diallo. And this was um, set at a very um, predominantly all white, very exclusive um, New England college. Um, mm-hmm. Feels almost like a Lovecraft kind of college. And it's about, it's kind of charting two parallel stories. One is the first, uh, the first woman, first black woman to be, become the head. She's not the headmaster. She's like the master of the house, whatever that is. But it's a major position in the academia of this college. And she's going to be like running this one wing of this thing. And she's the very first person who's ever been black. And that's one one story, right? So she's of a certain age, you know, in her 40s. And then it's this young freshman girl who's also black, who played by Zoe Renee. She's really good. And she comes in as a freshman who uh, is trying to like, you know, get along with everyone and assimilate. And she's somebody who should be able to fit in easily, right? Just she's got the total great personality and just everyone should like her, but just there's something off. And she's put in this room that it, it kind of reminded me of um, last year's Seance by Simon Bar- Barnett. It had a, by Simon Barrett, rather. It had a lot of the same setup, like, oh, your room's the haunted room where there used to be this one girl stayed there once and this witch haunted her and she ended up hanging herself. So that's it's got really creepy backstory stuff. Hold on. What was the name of this one again? It's called Master. Master. There's okay. a lot of films with that title, so it's hard. Yeah, to I was googling it. I was like, it's, it's like Master 2022. Um, okay. And she, and so, so it's got really good setup. And it, the only problem it has, you know, and this is tough when you're dealing with things that are of a political nature. Often, it feels like a lot of the stuff that to me could be subtext is just always on the surface of this in terms of like being kind of on the nose about some of the racial politics, which is weird given that the movie is doing other things so smartly. Like it's a great skewering. I think you would appreciate it as a skewering of academia. Like it Mm -hmm. really does some very interesting things. Uh, but it, like one of the A stories is really about like it, it's now again I'm not going to spoil it. There's too many little side things that would like give too much away. But you have two different, very different stories being charted. They're there at the same time. It's not a time time leap or anything. But it's charting some of the bullshit that surrounds academia that people are willing to do uh, mm-hmm. at the expense of certain people. And it shows that these new faces that haven't been represented at the school are really going to have a very tough time uh, fitting in. And it gets it, it could. I feel like if it if it didn't try as hard in some of the uh, the point it's making, it would be a lot creepier. But it has a really good setup, so it's like I was very mixed on it overall. It's it's made for Amazon, so it will probably just pop up on your Amazon as one of those horror films that often do. And so it's like it looks good, has an interesting world, and I do think uh, Regina Hall, who kind of apparently crushed Sundance, I think she's in three things. Um, she's really good. She's the house master person I was telling you about, and she kind of starts discovering stuff about racism, you know, in the past of the university, and all stuff we would assume in a in a school like that. Anyway, it was an interesting movie. Didn't completely nail the landing for me, um, but again, still worth checking out. Master, yes. master. Okay, I don't have any more from Sundance. I only had something in the dirt. So what else you got? I'll go through these. Uh, next one. Um, Speak No Evil. Uh, this is directed by Christian Taftrup. This is a Danish film, but goes to a different couple different countries. This one's getting a shutter release pretty soon. So uh, all I'll say is this is a lot of fun until it ain't. <laughs> it ain't. Holy shit, it ain't. Uh, this is the Haneke movie of the year. Uh, Haneke, wow, this movie. That and I'm, is a heavy swing of a compliment. And let's just say it comes late. And I watched it with uh, three very well- 
uh, versed horror fans. And very late at night, though, we were watching it. And uh, we're all kind of laughing because it's kind of like a comedy was for most of it. this the 2 a.m. night? Yeah, this was the 2 a.m. So this one got started like very late. Anyway, it's a Danish family. It's a couple and their kid. Really nice, really likable. The thing about this film is the characters are so likable and kind of identifiable. And they're just, they have all the same problems we all have. They go on this trip to Italy and they meet a Dutch family. And even though those countries are right next to each other, they speak different languages. And this, this Dutch guy is just kind of, he kind of is kind of not PC and does certain things that makes the other guy kind of attracted to what he's like. He's like, Oh, that's cool. You could just say what you want. And that kind of, mm-hmm. they just have an interesting vibe. And at the end, the one, the other guy, they have a kid too, who's kind of mute. And at one point they're like, you should come and visit us in Amsterdam or wherever the hell they live. Um, Dutch land. Um, <laughs> and, uh, which is Amsterdam, but whatever. Um, and, uh, they're like, yeah, I guess we could do that, but that's kind of weird, right? Like it's kind of, you're grown adults with kids, but they do it and they go to visit this people and it's it becomes very much a comedy of manners and there's some weirdness there but not that weird and then it gets a little weirder and a little weirder and it builds to a last 30 minutes that at the end i just like i was actually angry but in a way like the movie's completely successful because i felt because i really started to like these people it goes so dark it's definitely darkest film of the year like i can't imagine i think there's also a thing about movies that are dark usually they're dark for the whole movie Mm-hmm. You know, like like Gaspar Noe movies and Haneke movies tend to have a darkness from start to end for the most part. This is like dark comedy having fun and then somebody's going to smash you to death with a pulverizer is how it felt at the end of this movie. So so perfect for Shudder. You will all be in for a treat or not. But that is my warning. It is a lot of fun, though. It's, it's just a fun world. But yeah, I still haven't fully recovered from this one, which takes a lot for me to say that. Um, yeah, there's one scene in particular that you will go, oh, fuck. Like, um, wow. Not a rapey heard... thing. Just so people, I know some people get scared off because they think mm-hmm. it's that kind. It's not that kind of violence, something else. What was the name of this one again? This is called Speak No Evil. And this one probably no is the evil. soonest one to come. I, I know it's coming to Shudder. Um, I had heard about this just in that um, I'd heard it described as a, like a comedy of manners. Like yeah. it's it's all about um, not comedy as manners as in like Shakespearean, but it's all about well, manners like and at the start. Yeah, yeah, different cultural belief systems and kind of politeness. Parenting. It's a lot of it's about parenting. Yeah. Like they, they both have different parenting styles and that leads to stuff that gets really wild by the end. But yeah, I don't, I won't say any more, but that one is definitely one put to highlight for people who are into crazy shit. Um, the next one was one that I think will be a lot of people's favorites and was my least favorite. Uh, it's called Hatching. And a lot of people were talking about it before. It's called Girl with a Giant Egg. It's from Finland, which is cool. Um, and director mm-hmm. Hannah Berglum. It's interesting. Everyone who's seen the trailer just loves it. Uh, I just, there's something about it that didn't, it just, I don't know, it was a little too obvious to me, but it is a young gymnast, young girl. Her mom is desperately kind of desperate housewivesy, trying to have a perfect life online and appear that way. But the young girl realizes, oh no, my mom's actually having an affair with this much younger man. And actually our perfect life is not even slightly perfect at home. I didn't realize this. And then she discovers this egg and she sits on it and she sits on it, it gets bigger and bigger and kind of like little otik or something crazy. And a crazy bird creature comes out of it. And so that's pretty cool because it's a pretty, it's not CG, it's totally practical. So it's kind of rad. Um, but then, you know, then the horror elements and, and it kind of starts charting her inner feelings and it starts doing things that it senses she would want it to do. And there's violence coming from that. So it's, it's a really interesting movie. I, I just, and I, I truly think, I don't know. I just say it like when you see a shit movie and go, somebody will love this. I actually do think this is the type of movie that could be on a lot of people's top 10 lists at the end of the year. Like there's stuff about it 
that but for me it just there was something that kept me at bay and i just couldn't fully um get into it by the end but but certainly interesting and oh i mean, can't remember the last time i saw a horror finish film so um mm-hmm. you know so i thought that was neat and then uh, a last a last and definitely not least this was easily my favorite movie of the year so far um and it's i love it when you can do a told you so because uh, eight years ago, I saw a short film at a film festival that at the Etheria that I thought, as soon as it ended, I was like, that's one of the best shorts I've ever seen. This girl's going to make amazing features. That film was slut, and I loved that short. Oh, Chloe Acuna. Chloe Acuna, yeah. And she went on this year to have VHS 95. But, like, you have to, I tried, I showed it to students uh, today, actually, the short, and I had to tell them, like, this was her thesis film for AFI. It has been eight years since she made that. And now yeah. this is her first feature. This is shit. The shit is, you, is a, you know, you have to keep going. This isn't short run. Anyway, this film totally pays off the promise of slut a hundred percent. Like it is so my jam. It is, um, uh, Micah Monroe is the star, the star of it follows. So that's already a win. She is her and her new uh, husband, but they're young. He is from, um, Romania. So that's the other cool thing. This is shot during the pandemic, but it's all in Romania, which is just totally out, outside the box. Uh, he gets a gig in Romania and, and can, they're American, but he's like, can we live there for a while? So it's them moving into this Romanian apartment straight away. Um, and she just gets a sense that they have these nice big open windows and she keeps getting a sense that somebody from across the road is staring into their apartment all night, every night in this like weird shadow figure. And she tells people about it and no one really takes it seriously. And then she sends it to see somebody following her on the street and into a movie theater and into a thing. And again, no one really takes that seriously because, okay, big deal. But while that's happening, there are news stories that somebody like really crazy who has beheaded a woman in an apartment, you know, is out there on the streets. And so there's this kind of backstory that something really dark has and sinister has happened out there. And it's basically, I, I think my reading, you know, quick reading is, you know, this is about, those stories that uh, like women go through every day, like that somebody would be weird or follow them, but people writing off when it gets real, writing off that, no, it's just another one of those. And when it's not what that problem is. And it, and it's really about the female gaze uh, look and, and being gazed at. And, and she does mm-hmm. such a good job in this, in this movie at, at just getting to things that we kind of know, but haven't, I haven't always seen someone make something quite this good. And it is really tense and it builds, to something that I thought was just really like there's there's a couple moments that I thought were so tense and kind of scary in a non supernatural movie way. Um, really good. I don't want to say exactly how it go- goes, but this is this got announced yesterday that it was being bought um, also by Shutter, but I think a little later in the year. But I was just really happy because you, you we both know we see so many shorts and a lot of them don't oh, yeah. delivering past that. But the thing about her short slut and you can actually see it if you're listening to this it's on altar because i showed it to students today from yeah, altar i show it to my students my horror class sees it every semester yeah it shows all sides it shows that you could just go from that two features if you had given the chance because it's got scale it's got stunts and it's got really fun characters so anyway i really like watcher i thought it was really interesting so that is my uh sundance report that's all i watched this week basically Wow. Well, I'll do quick reviews of a couple more. I will say I saw, because we'd been talking about this before, Elric, um, something creeping in the dark from 1971. Yeah, I'm curious. They were showing it here um, at, oh gosh, the Los Feliz Theater. Yeah, as the part January of the, Giallo, uh, yeah. Yeah, the January Giallo. This one's real loosely Giallo. Like, honestly, um, I'm not sure it, I would immediately classify it as that. It's basically an old dark house film mm. um, with kind of Giallo tones. The setup is a group of strangers all arrive at this house on the night of the storm. 
they get there, they find out that the house has this kind of occult history, all this weird shit starts happening. Um, it's directed by Mario Colucci, who mostly did Felicia Tetsky movies. Mm. And um, it does not hit as many horror notes or even giallo notes as most of the other giallo films that I think we're accustomed to. Um, there's no, you know, fashion. There's nothing fancy. It's very much kind of a most of the characters are stodgy um, <laughs> dudes in suits, um, except for one woman who keeps suggesting that they have or- orgies. And then she has all of these crazy fantasies about one of the other people there, Farley Granger, um, who is a, a criminal who's kind of there, um, being investigated. Yeah, this, I'm going to say this one, it had some interesting stuff, but, um, you know, when looking at the title, something creeping in the dark, I think creeping is kind of the key word. Like it just, does not move it is a very slow paced movie um as far as giallos go this one was quite stodgy i'll say it's got some interesting stuff but it's more like a gothic ghost old dark house story Mm. i'll call it a completionist title if you feel like i do where you're like i really want to watch most of the movies that comprise the giallo subgenre um i think this was 99 cents on amazon and it actually didn't look that bad Okay. Um, Good to know. Two quick graphic novels that I read um, first, and I, I included this because I, I mentioned Backstagers, which is a YA graphic novel on one of our prior shows. And I got a couple of parents contacting me being like, this was great to give something to give to my kids. So yep. I'm going to give one that my kids um, and I both read this week called Baba Yaga's Assistant, which is really fucking dark for like a YA graphic novel. This definitely went um, dark places about a girl whose dad has remarried and has a whole new family now um her mom passed away her grandmother passed away and now that her dad has like remarried and has new kids he doesn't really want a lot to do with her like you get that he still loves her but he's very much invested in his new family and so she decides to run away in the woods and become a witch's assistant Mm -hmm. um baba yaga being this kind of classic Russian folk story witch character. And um, it goes through all of the different things that she has to do. And it just gets really dark because it's very much about her past and how she feels like she has no one in the world. Um, Yeah, this one was definitely, it it kind of, it blends a lot of really cool fantasy things about how the Baba Yaga functions um, with a lot of just really dark emotional stuff. Like I'd say, it's got like a Coraline vibe going on to it as well. Um, so this one was fun. Baba Yaga's Assistant by Martha McCooley. And then definitely, definitely, definitely adult graphic novel. I've got Fear Case by Dark Horse. Hmm. I loved this one. Like I want to, I read the first um, book of this and I want to keep going. It's a detective novel about these two um, secret service agents who have been tasked with finding this mysterious box known as the fear case. And the fear case is this black box that has reappeared over and over throughout history at sites where there have been like massive tragedies. Hmm. So very much like, you know, the fear case would appear there. Somebody would write about it and then Vesuvius explodes. Um, fear case like appears. Like yeah. the, the people who would appear at events. The people who'd appear. This is very much it. And in this case, it's a, big black leather bag. Hmm. Um, And you kind of get the idea that it's Pandora's box, but there's like an urban legend component to it as well, because whoever 
finds the fear case, it will immediately tell you that you have to give it away to somebody else. Or if you look inside of it, there will be all this tragedy. Like there's rules that go along with it. Um, and these two investigative secret service agents are trying to hunt it down, but it's kind of like in the hands of it, it shifts hands like so many times throughout just the course of the first book. And you know that some type of massive, massive tragedy or disaster is just about to happen because the fear case has appeared. And so it's just a really cool setup. Um, this is uh, by Matt Kent and Tyler Jenkins. And yeah, I'd read um, Matt's, I'd read Ether by Matt before, which was also good. But yeah, this was wild. And I'm surprised that there hasn't been some type of TV show series of it. It's just a really tight horror story. Mm. Last thing I will quickly plug because I started watching it because Netflix recommended it to me as kind of a horror movie. It's not a horror movie, but goddamn, this was good. And it hit a lot of kind of, I'll say, horror notes. This is Photocopier. Popped up on Netflix this week. And I'd seen a bunch of other kind of horror fans watching it on Twitter and Instagram. So I'm assuming that Netflix algorithms are kind of recommending it as a horror film. It is about a girl who one night um, goes out to a party. It's Indonesia. The whole film is um, Indonesia. It's, it's actually deeply submerged in Indonesian culture, which is really interesting part of it. Um, she goes out to a party one night and these pictures of her drinking and dancing and being passed out get posted up on her social pages. Drinking is against the law there. And so or it's more of kind of against their religion and socially frowned upon. And she loses her scholarship to the university and then her entire life spirals out of control. But she does not believe that these pictures, she didn't post them and she doesn't even remember the night. So she's determined that she was drugged. Someone else put the pictures up and she doesn't even know what happened that night. And so it all begins kind of this mystery of this girl trying to piece her life back together while it's simultaneously falling apart. Like it starts with the scholarship and then it just goes from there. It feels like unfriended if it wasn't a ghost. Um, and But it's just a really fucking well-made film. Like this is honestly one of the best Indonesian films I've ever made, seen. Really great acting, really great dark mystery, even if it is not ghosts doing it it's still it feels just like unfriended and still kind of breaking this this really dark mystery um so if you want to step outside horror for just a bit and head to a a mystery photocopier on netflix right now very cool yeah i saw you saw that one it looked interesting it looked like a horror thing yeah and i i assume that's why netflix recommended it to me and then i watched it's it's not a short movie it's like two hours and 10 minutes long and i kept waiting for like the ghosts to appear because it's indonesian most indonesian horror films are always ghost oriented and then halfway through i was like i don't think there's ghosts coming um but it was still so fascinating i just kept watching so but elric shall we dive into valentine's day isn't it romantic Tonight's episode of Colors of the Dark is brought to you by Athletic Greens and their nutrition drink, AG1, a product that Elric and I have been taking every day. After months of being in quarantine, Elric and I both wanted to improve our health in the new year. So we decided to try Athletic Greens. It's a health supplement that actually tastes great and really boosts your energy. Plus, it's from New Zealand, which Elric loves. 
So what is AG1? Uh, With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, all those things. I started taking mine daily right before my breakfast um, and before I started in with the coffee. So it became this thing that I was looking forward to as soon as I got up in the morning. It lets me know that I'm getting the nutrients I need. And after trying to choke down an assortment of homemade kale and quinoa smoothies I was making, I got to say the taste of this is great. It's got this wonderful lemon flavor. And it's lifestyle friendly, whether you are keto, vegan, dairy-free, paleo, or gluten-free. As you guys know, I have crazy food allergies, and it is free from all of the eight major allergens, which I was really impressed with. AG1, it's a small micro habit with big benefits, and it costs less than $3 a day, so way cheaper than the cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. I take it like 30 minutes before coffee, and it actually has given me a little boost of energy, which has been great. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash C-O-T-D. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash C-O-T-D to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. For this episode, we wanted to do um, something that we have not done on a show before, which is kind of Go into Valentine's Day not as something that we're going to buck against and immediately give you the most um, anti-love movies that we can ever think of. But instead, we're going to give you some recommendations for your Valentine's Day playlist. We're going to give you some horror movies that are still really freaking good, but definitely kind of what we consider romance, which I have a feeling is going to be really freaking subjective. Yeah, I think I have a couple probably that buck against. Well, no, they're probably pretty good. I mean, I wrote at the top, hopefully none of these are yours. I don't think they would be, but I wrote like there's classic, classic, classic. like Mm -hmm. The Fly is the most romantic. I didn't even put on the list. Yeah, Yeah, Dead Alive, if we talked about last week, that's Mm -hmm. classic romance. American Werewolf, I find to be a really nice, like has a really nice chemistry to it. And even Reanimator, when you think about Reanimator, it's got a really good love story at the core that pulls you through that movie. Um, Mm -hmm. And obviously leads to the sequel for sure. So those kind of movies are the classics. Uh, I I think I have one that I'd call a a weird classic in my list. Um, And I had a couple anti-romance ones I was just, I was going to, well, we all know Possession's the ultimate anti-romance. Uh, I called those my cold shower movies. Yeah, we'll get well, at the end. I have a good cold shower. I was going to mention up here an anti-romance, The Long Weekend, where nature runs amok. It's probably the worst of all relationship movies I've ever seen, where it just deconstructs this couple through nature attacking them. It's a great movie, but but that but I have got a perfect cold shower one at the end. So I'll wait till we do our five romances, and then we could. I've got a good cold shower one. Okay, so I did four romances, one deep cut and one cold shower. So me too. Oh, we me might too. have to. Okay, okay. It was like I didn't break the rules. I swear. Um, okay, well, I'm going to kick us off with honestly, I I don't cry as much anymore. I think I've grown tired and exhausted and cold, and I still get scared in movies, and I still find myself thinking about serial killers while I lie in bed at night. But an actual movie making me weep, Pixar can do that. 
like soul. I bawled my fucking eyes out. Um, but outside of Pixar, like not much does it. What about Untamed um, Heart? Until- Remember Untamed Heart? He gets the baboon I heart. Do. And Christian Slater is going to look for Remember that? That would make my broken heart. Oh my God. That was, that was Marissa Tomei and Rosie Perez and Christian Slater at his sexiness. I remember that. Oh, I knew that would get a tear. Oh my gosh. Yeah. In that restaurant. Um, but this movie, I will say made me bawl my eyes out. And for a couple of days afterwards, if I would start thinking about it, I would start crying again. And that is 2020s spontaneous. Oh yeah. Um, which if you have not seen yet, you need to to go see it. Um this and I think this made you cry as well, Elric, if memory serves. I've never I cried. think it, never, never. I remember talking right. about it on the show. So. Well, it's also very funny. I mean, that's what's cool about it. It's yeah. a dark comedy, it's really funny. It's no, it's a very emotional and definitely a very much a movie that d- was delivered unto the pandemic and mm-hmm. felt like it was a pandemic movie. No, this movie, it was my perfect pandemic film because it was just about being thrown into the scenario. The setup is one line. All of a sudden, kids in a high school start randomly exploding, just yeah. like full out, like bone flying everywhere, exploding in the middle of class. And nobody knows what's going on. But every time the high school students get back together in any capacity, one of them explodes. Yeah. And so it's all about um, our, we have a main protagonist, female. And right at the beginning, she meets a guy and then it tracks their relationship while all of this exploding and and panic and what's happening to our town, what's happening to our kids, lock everything down, quarantine them while that's all happening in the background. Um, But what is in the foreground, your A-line is definitely about their relationship. And oh man, this one, this hit. Um, but my takeaway and the reason that I considered it to be such a heavy romantic film is because they did put the relationship. It was the a line as opposed to the tragedy that was going on being kind of it's there, but it's in the background. And I think that that was a really important choice because in a teen's mind, regardless of what's happening, that kind of beautiful relationship can make the whole world glow regardless of what bullshit's happening in the background. And you just, felt that vibration you felt the vibration of like 16 year old in love for the first time through yeah. the whole movie um and it charts the her, how it changes her friendship too with her friend her close friend not just a new relationship but also the pandemic mm-hmm. like a, a situation like that can you know push and pull you apart um yeah that's a great pick and that was very high on all of our lists because we love that film yeah that was um spontaneous from 2020 uh directed by brian duffield yeah, some some of these might I won't have to go very deep because some of them are so obvious, including this one, um, which really is one of my favorite on screen romances ever in terms of chemistry. I you know, sometimes chemistry instead of romance. Uh, you, you've definitely never seen this one. Um, it opens with a pet baby alligator being flushed down the toilet, um, <laughs> and I'm, I am and I am talking in honor because this is big news coming up this month. Alligator on Blu-ray finally. One of the movies I'd most want to see on Blu-ray, directed by Lewis right? Teague, John Sale script. And I, beyond the fact that the alligator stuff's so awesome, I think what I came back to on the last viewing when me and you watched this for the Animal Attack episode of Pure Cinema was the Robin Riker, uh, Bob Foster relationship. It's just like, mm-hmm. I, it's, it's just like fun and they kind of spar a little, but, and she's smart and he's like you know he's making fun of his own hairline half the movie and i love just the growing like charting a early part of a relationship through a movie like this is so Mm -hmm. 
not usual for this kind of movie. You know what I mean? It's usually total throwaway. It'd be just so somebody could have sex or something in the movie. It wouldn't be to actually see those sparks and a believable, charting a believable adult relationship. It's very adult, obviously, because they're not, you know, they're probably in their late 30s or even 40 by then in, in this film. So I, I just think this film also just deserves more love all the time. But oh, yeah. Especially because of the relationship. And I find it, I just, I kind of dig them as a couple on screen. So they make me happy. Yeah. No, I love this movie um, and that relationship so much that I cast Robin Riker as my yeah. lead in my Lifetime film, Psycho Granny. She literally plays the Psycho Granny, um, which is wild because she doesn't, she, she's so young playing this role, but she does it so well. 40 um, years ago, that movie, Alligator, and she still looked great in your movie. I know, she still looks so good. But I have to say, like, a lot of what made her character so charming in Alligator is just Robin. Like, she is smart, and she's funny, and she's witty, and she just um, truly, like, just a light to work with. Like, I just had an absolute blast. So, yay, Alligator. Yeah, I'm so happy that's coming to blue. I haven't ordered it yet, but I'm like, first thing I'm ordering is Alligator, so. I still ha- I have a South Korean Blu-ray of it, so I'm just excited to, to yeah, get um, one with bonus features that I can read the subtitles on. So, yeah, I'm excited. Um, okay, so next up, Elric is literally sitting in front of a poster of, and this is uh, one of my favorite just when I think like romance, I love this movie um, for it. Night Tide from 1961. Is this on your list? It, almost, but I, at the last second, I, okay. I, I thought you might. So I was like, fuck it. I'll, you know. I did the same thing where I was like, I wonder if Elric's going to put this on his list. And then I was like, fuck it. I'm going to. It's still um, way so, under scene. So I think it's good. Yeah. I, that's why I wanted to, is I was like, if we're proselytizing any movie, man, Night Tide is one that you can, you can definitely, both of us can talk about. Um, 1961, directed by Curtis Harrington. This one, it's all about a sailor played by Dennis Hopper in his very first film, who is on shore leave in this little seaside town. He falls in love with this woman who plays a mermaid in the local carnival show and um, is just genuinely obsessed with the sea. And at the same time, while they're kind of having this budding relationship, these murders are happening and she kind of starts to suspect that she might be a siren and have something to do with it. And I love this setup. I mean, it's just a beautiful movie across the board, but in this one, it does something different where it's not the guy who's saying, I think my girlfriend might be a serial killer um, and suspected of her. It's, it's much different where it's her saying, oh no, I'm doing this. That's me. I, I, I do this every time there's a full moon. Oops. And, and him going, that can't be real. That can't be real. Um, so it, it just, it has something different about it. And I always loved kind of how it's, it's not even at the forefront of the movie, to be honest, their relationship is at the forefront of the movie and all the, could she be a siren? Could she not be a siren? I don't know. That's it stays so muddled underneath the whole plot. It's like cat people, right? It's like Mm -hmm. the way the original cat people did it. I think it's like, which is also fairly kind of as a romantic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. It's like where it's, it's happening, but, that, yeah, it's 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 background to all the weird stuff. It has a lot of weird touches. Night Tide, but mm-hmm. um, it's it's a it's one of those, also it's black and white and shot at the pier, Venice Beach Pier, and that makes a big you know impact. I think that um, carousel is just yeah. gorgeous in it. Yeah. So it's a really cool little movie. Yeah, I like it a lot. 
Yeah, this one does not get nearly enough love. It was optioned by, um, oh gosh, Re- Nick. Reffin owns the rights to the movie itself. Like he even, even the prints of it, like he, he, he restored it and stuff, I guess, spent a lot oh, of money wow. to, to make sure it didn't kind of go fall away. So if we ever wanted to screen it, I think you'd go through him, I assume. Maybe. Wow. This is one that I've been hoping would get a reboot. This is one that I think is just, there is such a cool modern day movie existing in this one. Um, so I hope someday maybe he decides to remake it. Yeah, Night Tide. Um, my number four, I actually haven't seen in a long time, but it always it made such an impression at the time. And I, I'm considering it romantic for three. Number three. That's my number four. How? I've only done Alligator. Oh, you're counting down. I'm sorry. I was counting up. My oh, bad. Okay. My okay. bad. Uh, you're good with words, but counting. Um, okay. Uh <laughs> No, this one from 2007, and I'll explain why. This is, uh, I went with The Signal, um, directed by David oh. Bruckner, Jacob Gentry, and Dan Bush. I haven't seen it for a long time, but my memory, and it is true from like rewatching trailers and reading about it, is that it's, you know, bookended by this romance of there is a, uh, an unhappily married young woman, you know, uh, played by Anessa Ramsey, who's married to a kind of psychotic AJ Bowen in this movie, um, but for a reason, uh, is having this relationship with Justin Wellborn, and they, have kind of decided they want to be together and that they're going to try to make it work and figure it out. And they're going to meet up later. And in the distance between when they don't meet up, there is this transmission, mysterious transmission that happens. And suddenly uh, people turn into the way they act in our society now. And it's a direct correlation to 2021, I guess, or 2022 uh, where people act like maniacs. Uh, And, uh, but it's basically on the news, it's on the radio and it's, all pervasive it doesn't change everyone the same way and it's not affecting everyone but people are turning into not zombies but like kind of maniacs basically and it's really intense but what's fun about the movie um is it's split into three distinct chapters which i didn't realize the first time i watched it. i just thought oh wow this part's a little different than the last part and this next part but they are distinctly different three different directors three different quite different styles they all had subgenres but the through line which is the romance carries you completely through and you really are i found myself i remember it's one of the last films where i really wanted to see two people end up together when you're watching Mm -hmm. them have to go through a lot of uh, craziness but the reason i also put it on the list is like it reminded me of the romance of filmmaking like making a movie with your friends kind of like what you're talking about with moorhead benson is making this was made with kind of a collective a group of people for under fifty thousand dollars in 13 days uh you know very small thing all of these people have gone most of them have gone on to very big careers you know we can we see what bruckner is doing now and a lot so and the actors you recognize from all the things so it's really cool this small group and it's all set in atlanta um so so it kind of had it as a dual romance at the core of the film but also reminded me of the romance of what filmmaking can be you know mm-hmm. um made with those kind of pure purposes um and it's one i kind of after putting on my list and not rewatching it i I really want to watch it like tonight because I was like, oh yeah, I remember just lots of scenes from it. Um, so yeah, hopefully it puts on somebody's radar who's less aware of uh, this film because it's kind of, I think it's pre-Walking Dead. It is pre-Walking I right. want to say. I think it by like a year or two Yeah, and it's in Atlanta and it's really kind of got a lot of similarities to the what happens to people in a sense. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not pre-Walking Dead because the comics had been out oh, for sure. a while, okay, but yeah. pre-Walking Dead, the show. Yeah, what we um, got used to. But, but it's yeah. way more fun. It's way more colorful. Like one of the stories is dark comedy and it's like cartoonish in its uh, approach and it's really quite cool. So um, yeah, that's the signal from 2007. 
You know, you're right. I loved this movie so much when it came out. It was the one that I was like singing praises of all year. And I yeah. don't think I have seen it since then. I, I it's haven't. Definitely yeah. time for a rewatch of it. Okay. Well, for my number three, <laughs> um, I decided I wanted to do something a little bit more bonkers. And I was going to go with one that seemed like a love movie to me when I was a teenager and still kind of does. Like this was like relationship goals for me when I was um, a teenager and first saw this. Return of the Living Dead Part 3. Oh, yeah. I okay. Like also, so, I just realized what you're doing with the numbers because you're counting down from four, not five, because yes. not one of them is a deep cut. I only just got that right now. <laughs> So now, because I just looked at my list and I went, wait, I have a number. Oh, okay. So now I see how you're thinking. Your brain was working. No, one, no one else gets it. It's okay. No, this will be the ultimate in-joke <laughs> moment of the podcast where only other podcasters who do this shit go, oh, wow. They just totally wow, fell into that. Wow, they did that thing. That's where they were. It would never <laughs> happen on the big picture. You know oh, what? we would. Well, this is usually like a podcast, like the Patreon moments, but yeah, I'm yeah. leaving it in. We're yeah, leaving yeah, we it in this. this. We're is- leaving it in, Ernie. Behind the uh, scenes, this is the script stuff. Um, so I'm going to, what is my number three on my, but it's actually your number two of your top, top four. So we're going to call it your number. Yes. I'm going to pivot. It is your number two officially. (laughs) Well, you know what? It's return of the living dead part three, which just makes it even more fucking confusing here. So return of the living dead part three. This is Brian Usna who I just love in general. Like Brian Usna, I will just follow him till the ends of his bonkers ass earth every single time. Um, this is so much more comedic than the first two, which is weird because the first two are also comedies. Um, like you think Return of the Living Dead, you immediately go, oh yeah, that's a horror comedies. Oh, it's got nothing on part three. Um, so part three gets way weirder, yet part three also gets darker. So part three, by this time, part one and two have happened and some time has passed and they've controlled the zombies and the government and military are now experimenting with trioxin. And there is this dad who works at a military base and he's experimenting with trioxin and trying to control zombies and how do we make them into super soldiers, yada, yada. Guy, um, his son accidentally kills his girlfriend when she tries to give him a hand job while riding a motorcycle together. And he steers off like you do. Sounds like Devil's Honey. (laughs) He steers off the side of the road and she dies on impact. And he is brokenhearted um, about her death and takes her to the military base, which he'd heard his dad talking about, and gives her trioxin, hoping to bring her back. Which he does, but she's now also a zombie infected with trioxin. And so, and now she's being chased by the military who wants to kill her because she's a zombie infected with trioxin. And so it basically becomes kind of a chase movie where it's the, the couple deeply in love with each other, very kind of, you know, Romeo and Juliet ish level of like 16 year olds really in love running from the military and his dad. And um, she discovers midway through that if she inflicts strong amounts of pain on herself, it can temporarily control the urge to eat his brains. Hmm. Um, And so that's kind of what most people remember from the movie is it has this big fetishistic quality where she basically goes all like Tetsuo, like they're down in the sewers at the time and she starts like shoving pieces of shrapnel and metal into her body and corkscrews and piercing and broken glass and shit. And she's really beautiful. Like the actress playing it is really beautiful. So all this is really kind of portrayed as hot somehow. Um, And then it goes from there and it's all about a boy and the zombie pierced metal 
woman he loves. Um, but when I was a kid watching this, oh my God, this was like relationship goals. Like I wanted a boy who would turn me into a zombie and then hide me from the military. Um, so I'm still looking for that. But yeah, I love you, Brian Husna. And I really like Richard of the Living Dead part three. I saw that one first of that series. Uh, really? Like, definitely. Definitely three before one. And like, because the VHS was so popping, you remember? Yeah. Like, and it was the, it probably came out like new, you know, right mm-hmm. at that. But I, I have, don't know if I've seen it much since then. So I kind of, I didn't, I didn't write down the year. I remember this being kind of like right at the beginning of like what I'll call like hot topic. Yeah, 1993. This would have been like right at the beginning of like the hot topic y Gadzooks, like, gothy industrial look and i remember her really having like you know the kmfdm Mm. look to her um that i thought was like really hot and cool at the time period so yeah it's um yeah i i love this one i can't imagine watching this first though and then going back and watching the rest of the series because this one is so tonally different yeah um, and then two i didn't see for a long time because two was kind of harder to find for a long time and two's a little flat but you know yeah it's a little bit more forgettable it's got some moments um the stuff with the kids is kind of cool but yeah two's a little bit more flat than one and three one's masterful yeah great um well my number Three slash two, uh, <laughs> however you want to view this. This will all become clear soon, kid. Uh, is the most obvious on the list, and it's but it's me reminding you to watch this on Valentine's Day, the day you should watch this movie. It, it might be the ultimate grower of all his movies, that for me at least, and that is the ultimate romance between the boy and his car, Christine. Because Christine, as a movie, of, as seen as a Valentine's Day movie, is much better and I think everyone should be watching it because it is really about a guy who gets taken over with his love, not for the girlfriend that he takes to the drive in, but for the car and the car's deep possessive love of him. And uh, I think this this is the one where I saw all of Carpenter's films when I was young. And this is the one mm-hmm. I liked least at the time. And as every year since I think of all his films, it's the one that gets better every time to the point where now I think it's one of his top three films. Like the car transformation stuff just still blows. It's like magic tricks that you almost can't even work out happening in front of you. And I think Arnie, um, the performance by Keith Gordon, who's also a director, is so good. And so, you know, I think that's what put me off when I was young. It kind of scared me. It disturbed me a bit, his performance and where he kind of gets this obsession he has with his automobile. But I actually found a really fun thing that was on the DVD, I guess, just a little tidbit. He, as a performer, pretended the car, when he was playing this, was a woman. And that Mm -hmm. way, whenever he touched the car, he had to imagine which part of a woman's body that was. So he was really trying to, like, play it for real, not just trying to do something that would be impossible. And I thought that's that's an interesting angle. But, yeah, no, this movie, I think, would be a great movie to make the permanent valentine's movie because it's just it's also kind of funny in that sense obviously uh, mm-hmm. but it's just it's just a really good movie and so it's my most <laughs> obvious pick on my list don't worry i have a big deep cut coming but i love christine um and make sure it's always represented excellent um so my fourth or one number one God. <laughs> number one um this was a tough one for me because i i wanted to include one that did something different that wasn't just straight like couple in love um like i have like warm bodies was one that i thought about just because i think that's such like a sweet like feel good movie but then i crossed it out and then i thought about crimson peak because that's like my girl running from the dark castle in a nightgown but the man i love back there but he He's dark and twisted, fall of House of Usher. I mean, like Crimson Peak is a truly romantic, gothic movie. Um, And the one that I ended up picking that I want to talk about 
in no way seems like it would be a romantic movie, but hear me out. Knife plus heart. Hmm. I know this is, it's an, I can't remember that, that angle, but go on. So knife plus hard. It's um, a modern day French giallo, which should just pique your interest right there and make you go watch it. But for me, this movie it's um, you see sex, you see love and you see every variation of all those shades in between, because it's about a woman who is her career is making gay porn. Um, And so you get this kind of world where it primarily sits about the sex. But throughout the entire movie, her battle is not necessarily about the porn. Hers is, and this is where I, I felt the love, she has gotten out of a relationship just recently, ended a relationship with the woman who edits these movies. And so they're still working together, but you're feeling the echoes of what used to be. And so when I was thinking about like, what is romance for me? I always think about, well, how does it end as well? And in my experience, most of my relationships, it's kind of the wasteland theory of not with a bang, but a whimper. And it's like, oh, well, you still have to go to class with each other, or you still have to see each other in the quad every other day, or you still all have the same friends. So it's still that kind of um, the level of having to still constantly be around each other and feel the tension like the the weird vibration in the air between the two of you, even though that once what was once there is no longer there or one person wants it and the other person no longer does, in which case it's it's like a total clash. Um, and so it was the relationship between the two of them because I could feel what once was and the power of it by how strong the vibration was now that they had ended it and what their relationship was like as they were moving forward, still working together. Um, And so that for me, it was such a powerful thing to see in a movie because I think it's counterintuitive. Like you usually say like, Oh, well let's, let's get her in a relationship. Um, And it was really powerful. And this movie, I just love it in general and it's gorgeous. And I love that it presents all different shades of love. So um, knife plus heart. And it has lots of sick kills. Yo, Yo, lots you, of you didn't sell any though. of the horror. You just sold this. I know. beautiful. beautiful well, I, no, it's film. crazy fucking sick kills. But I mean, I that knife plus heart. I think that it is supposed to be because it is this kind of mix of sex, death, and love, and lots of variables therein. Yeah, no, it's a good one, yeah. and I believe I saw it with you. Yeah, um, we I did at um, the theater in Santa Monica. The yeah. New Art, yes, where we yes, didn't watch the gay the porno one. afterwards, but we should have. We should have. I saw they're showing that at the New Beverly. They are, yeah. I think, yeah. or they did already, maybe. Um, yeah. It is supposedly, the movie was supposedly inspired um, by uh, a porn that um, we did not stick around for because it was late and porn. And then I was like, man, after seeing the movie, I want to see the porn that it is based on. Like, yeah. it's so fascinating. I, um, we all have a line and my line is watching porn during the pandemic with strangers. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, that, that just in the pandemic, it's like, okay, we're not, are we wearing masks? Are we not wearing masks? Oh boy, you're not wearing that either, huh? Like that just is not <laughs> something I'm going to go for right now. Um, anyway, on another day, sure. Uh, all right, my number one uh, in this category, we have a deep cut to come, but it's my favorite romantic film. Um, and uh, I just love everything about this movie. I love the way it looks. I love the way it feels. And I, I love that all of the horror of this film comes from deep romance, even though mm-hmm. the person 
the romantic object or the romantic partner is no longer alive. And that is the abominable Dr. Fives. Oh, I love this film so much. means never having to say you're ugly. That's right, Volnavia. Uh, it's just, I love, I think this is actually might be one of my favorite Vincent Price roles, period. I also like the sequel a lot. I talked about that a bit last year on the other show, but the, mm-hmm. this one's so beautifully made. It's like one of the best production design film periods, I think. Each one is just a giant murder set piece of him getting uh, revenge on the, using the nine uh, uh, diabolical curses. They call them the bees, bats, beast, blood, frogs, hail, locusts, all classic mm-hmm. Egyptian plagues. Uh, he's getting on these random nine strangers who actually end up, as we go through the story, we realize they're all connected because they all operated on his uh, beautiful wife that he was so in love with. And because she died, he blames them all, even though it really wasn't their fault because she was in an accident. And he becomes this crazy Phantom of the Opera looking character who also plays, he's a doctor, he's a scientist, but he's also an organist with with uh, automaton uh, members of his band. And it is just such a wildly fun movie that I still don't feel like people talk about enough. It's a great revenge movie, but it's also a really great romance and it's colorful in all those ways. It actually feels like Valentine's Day in a way. It's got a pink mm-hmm. palette. And uh, so anyway, that's my my favorite. I definitely think there's probably a lot of people who haven't seen this one. Uh, I think you'd have a lot of fun uh, seeing that, it. Let's ham it up. Oh, such an amazing deep cut. Great choice. It's a fun um, I wouldn't have asked. That wasn't my deep cut. That was just my number. Oh, oh, that was your number one. Thank you. Not my deep cut. My deep cut's weirder. (laughs) That is kind of a deep cut, though. I don't think Fives gets a lot of love. It's one I've lost track of on that way because it feels like it was once maybe a classic, but maybe it is a Mm -hmm. deep cut now. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. No, good choice. And you are right. It's got this great pastel palette going throughout the whole thing. It really kind of makes it almost fun. I mean it for production design. If anyone's interested in that, in terms of horror production design, I think it's up there with the best. I mean, it's not like traditionally horror. It's all bright and colorful and crazy, but just each set piece is so interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Our deep cuts. Deep cut. I've got, oh, and uh, I've got like three deep cuts. I, I, man, I, didn't, I didn't. Ernie has a hard out. <laughs> well, apparently I don't know how to count either. <laughs> so. Okay. Well, you start with your deep cut. Oh, mine? We're going... Wait, you ju- I just went. Oh, okay. Then cool. I will junk, jump in um, with Snake of June. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's a good deep cut. Yeah. Thank you. Um, 2002, this is Shinji Tatsukamoto, um, who most people know from Tatsuo. Um, somehow did this. I don't know if I'll call it romantic. Um, it's odd in a relationship sense. It's an art film. The whole thing is really monochromatically blue and black um, about a couple who have kind of lost the power behind their relationship. So they start doing all of this weird sex stuff. Um, And then it gets really weird and hallucinogenic. He's like bribing her. Wait, he's he's forcing her. He's got he's taken photos of her. What was she doing? She's masturbating or something. She he did she's something like masturbating in the and, rain, and he uses that against rain. her. But he's like an anonymous, shadowy figure who takes photos yeah. of her, and makes her do and, things, basically. And it's it's just all of this weird sex stuff. But she, it's like she's got this hygiene obsessed. Like um, I remember her husband being yeah, like OCD. Weird. Yeah. And then, um, and then the whole thing becomes kind of like exploring sexuality and she's like really shy and it's, um, it's very much an art film. Um, there's a lot of really trippy hypnotic imagery that I don't know how it places into the movie, but, um, yeah, 
Yeah, it's made by the guy who made Tetsuo, so you know what you're going to get. But it is a Tetsuo-made film about relationships and sex and marriage. Yeah, it's like a kink. It's it's a kink mm-hmm. that draws them together, and then they they both explore things about each other that otherwise, without this darkness, they'd never would have known. Kind of thing. It's yeah, I like it a lot. It's it's a movie. I just like the color palette, and I think I like it more than t- it's more watchable for me than Tetsu, which is like uh-huh. you can't watch Tetsuo very often because it's just too no. Bad. Tetsuo, it's also, um, Tetsu, yeah, it's, it's, I've seen it a couple of times, but it's not one that I can watch in repetition. This has a stronger plot. Yeah. As well. Tetsuo is very much like guy, you know, encounters weird metal fetishes, starts shoving metal in places it shouldn't go and then kills girlfriend. Yeah. It says, um, this, too, yeah. yeah, it's very much like a, a mood piece. This has a plot and it's structured around a mystery. Um, even though it still has those kind of hypnotic moments. Yeah, what was the series this came out? You bought the DVD not long ago. There were those, there, it was like oh, those Asian Extreme, I think. It was part of that. It's Well, it, this was originally part of Tartan Asian Extreme. Tartan, Tartan Asian Extreme. Extreme. That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah, that's what I meant. I have a ridiculous amount of those. Yeah, um, no, they're I still good. have like, good my ones. entire collection of those. There's so many good titles in there. Okay, my deep cut, um, which is still a deep cut, but thankfully there's a good release. And uh, partially was also because I would have picked this anyway, but because it was also the first day of Black History Month, it's two, I, I get two scores with this one. Um, this is just a terrific movie, but not for everyone. Like I've met more mm-hmm. people who didn't take to this movie than do. But if you can take something a little more experimental, Ganjan Hess is by mm-hmm. Bill Gunn is a ter- terrific mood piece. Like, um, so it's Dwayne Jones who, and he only had two lead roles, this and night of living dead. And he is, I can't think of anyone I wish had more of a career because he's such a good actor and he's such a good presence. And Marlene Clark, who was from switch, one of the characters from switchblade sisters. It is a, um, uh, it's again, a kind of an academia film and it's very unusual for, cause this was made with hopes of being another black exploitation film. And it's just nothing like black exploitation films. It's nothing like black. It's, it's, it was so outside the box that no one knew what to do with it. And that's why it's been so obscure all these years. Um, he is an anthropologist and he's working with his partner played who, who the director plays and they are working. Uh, they've discovered an ancient African tribe um, called the Murthians who actually had, blood drinking in their ceremonies and his partner starts losing his mind a bit and stabs him um with this like it's like this weird uh a weird knife that has like a special carving on it that was part of their old ceremonies and it effectively turns the Dwayne jones character into a vampire and it's so it's a totally different mythology and he has these flashes and mental flashbacks to a time period he didn't even live in with this with this tribe so it's definitely you know going deep into aspects of african culture which are really interesting and he mm-hmm. then the it kind of reminds me of the hunger as well it's a mixture between that uh, it, that kind of vibe and, uh, and the hunger where the 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 guy he then kills his partner uh his wife shows up looking for him and he basically seduces her and eventually turns her into a vampire too and she's initially like really reluctant and doesn't want to go into this world and just wants to die and then he kind of like shows her how to feed and brings in the people and then she kind of gets more comfortable with it than him and it sounds like a traditional vampire plot for that kind of a movie and the actual narrative is anything but and the way it's filmed it's anything but and I still think it's singular in terms of black cinema. I don't think there's another movie like it at all. I think it's, mm-hmm. I, have, I can't pair it with anything. Uh, Spike Lee tried to remake it with the sweet blood of Jesus. And it's just not the same kind of thing. No. Um, but this is a really special kind of unique. Uh, and it still, it still satisfies as a weird vampire film, but there's mm-hmm. their relationships really good. They look great on screen together. There's some really interesting like love scenes. It's just a movie. I saw it back before it got a release. I think Elijah, our friend, Elijah Drenner, 
told me about it, gave me a copy once, and I was like, what is this? It's just kind of out of nowhere back then. Um, but anyway, now it's much easier to see, which is good. So that is yeah, Gan Hiss. Synapse? I can't even remember who did the release of this, Somebody, but it would have yeah. been like around late 2000s that there was a DVD yeah. release. And I'd never even heard of it before yeah. then, but was just pleasantly surprised by it. Very good movie. Yeah. Um, I'd also put Park Chan-wook's Thirst down. Yeah, Thirst um, is always a favorite, of- too, of mine, yeah. Yeah, that's such a good one. And has okay, good so, eroticism going well, on. Well, you also had Sexiest Vampire Flick. Yeah. Yeah, Vampiros Lesbos by far. Why? Well, no isn't question. that part of our, that'll be part of our fight, right? Our movie fight? Oh, no. The movie fight's coming up. You also oh, yeah. said, I'm looking at your script. Oh, my God. Tonight's no, falling apart. No, my, the whole my, show. You, you missed my notes were uh, in there, but there was like a question mark that you were going to respond to in an email. Oh! Oh, this is what happens when we shift topic but, late but it, in the day. But it really doesn't matter because <laughs> now people have been told your favorite. I, I would, you know what? A Sexiest re- vampire. Uh, I actually. Dad Miranda. Well, there's so many and there's some we're about to talk about, but I will also say for modern films, Kiss of the Damned is a sexy, mm-hmm. sexy movie that no one talks oh, yeah. about. It's like all recent vampires, people that you'd recognize, the girl from Fat Girl, the guy from Heroes and whatever that family show that everyone watches. He plays the dad now. Uh, he's. It's just like it's got this real intense like sexual chemistry and the vampirism in that film. And that's a more recent one. So anyway, you, that, you just gave us an avenue to recommend a couple more good movies. We have oh, to do okay. a cold shower. Quick cold shower. Yes, movie cold fight. shower. Um, I wrote down Durfan. Yeah, fan. that makes sense. That's a very cold yeah. one. Yeah. But but if they haven't heard about it, you better tell them what it is. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. I figured we had talked about this one. <laughs> It'd be like if me and you were just talking on the phone right now. You're like, yeah, I agree with you, Becca. But I'm <laughs> right? yes, fan. <laughs> Did I tell you about the day I've had? <laughs> so, I'm actually, I watched anyway. that movie. <laughs> so, Durfan, this is one that Elric had recommended me, to me for our very first Deep Cut show, actually. Yeah, way back this then. is one that you convinced me to watch. It's from 1982, and it is about this teen girl who is really withdrawn from her family, really withdrawn from school. She is just incredibly obsessed with this rock star, this like pop singer who I think's name, it's like R. Um, like he, it's, it's or just exercise. It's like a letter. Yeah. I think he's yeah. a real new wave guy at the time. Yeah. It's like a new wave pop singer, but she's absolutely obsessed with him to the point where she's writing him letters. She's, um, and in the letters, it's very much like, you know, not like I, I am a fan of yours. It's very much like, um, no one knows that we're together and that we're going to be married. They all don't believe me when I tell them that we're going to be married. Like she already is so obsessed and mentally unhinged to the point where she already thinks that they have this relationship together. And so um, she hears he's going to be playing in a nearby town. This is set in West Germany. Um, And she skips school and goes to the concert and meets him. And then it goes from there. Um, this movie it actually goes, goes pretty well for a little while. That's all we can for tell. a little while. For a little romantic, while, it, for, there, it is romantic for a little while. Yeah, for a little bit, <laughs> it seems totally legit. Yeah. Um, and then it goes really fucking off the rails. This, when the turn happened, I will put it in the same kind of vote as like audition for yeah, me, where totally. I was just like, "What the fuck is happening?" Like, I and then it keeps going. It pushes as mm-hmm. far as you can push a movie, basically. Yep. And uh, so Durfan 1982, this is a Blu-ray release from Mondo Macabro. Yeah. Um, so worth the blind buy. This one is yeah. great. Yeah, it's a great atmosphere build-up movie. Mm-hmm. Anyway, even if it wasn't horror, it would still be interesting because you just get, get pulled into it. 
Um, but yes, definitely a cold shower of a movie. Uh, nothing, uh, we were talking, we also, we won't have time to talk about my happiness date again, but, uh, that was a boner killer. Okay. Mo- but moving on, uh, <laughs> to, to the ultimate, uh, this is one, I think I brought this up to you recently. And I don't think you had seen it yet. And it's the ultimate, I can't, well, next, maybe obviously necromantic and shit's probably as bad as it gets, but this one is called Blue Omega, aka Beyond the Darkness by Joe D'Amato. And it is the worst in terms of like this, what we're talking about. It's like romantic. Blue Omega? Blue Omega is what I saw it under. And it has even like a goblin score, but it's, it is basically a young, beautiful guy, has this nice villa. He's very attractive and he's got this uh, nice girlfriend who's just hot and they love each other. And then his like weird, I can't remember, but I think his like house, the woman who cleans his house puts a weird voodoo curse on and she dies. And is this so Beyond he, the Darkness? It's AKA Beyond the Darkness, yeah. Oh, okay, um, there we go. Yeah, yeah. But but I think I was bringing this up and I think you would, you were like, what? But you had heard of it. But anyway, mm-hmm. he he she dies. So he embalms her, does full taxidermy on her and then just brings her back home and treats her like it's still her girlfriend and she sleeps in the bed and, and it's, but not in a cute, funny way in a really gross, like sleazy doesn't feel right. And then he starts bringing home other woman. And when it gets up to the sex stuff, he starts feeling weird about it and ends up killing them because probably because of a jealousy with her. Think weekend at Bernie's if they fucked Bernie. (laughs) (laughs) That's my pitch. (laughs) How is that not the tagline? (laughs) That should have been part two. <laughs> anyway, uh, that probably will be my finest work, so I should probably just quit while I'm ahead. But um, that's a cold shower. Well done, sir. But it really is a. T- it's one of those movies. After it ended, I was like, "Oh my god, did I just watch what I watched?" And I don't think uh, I'll ever watch it again. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. Movie fight. Wait. The wait. You don't get away saying it like that. It has been gone for months. You don't get to just wander and get okay. Movie fight like you're some school marm. Come on, give it some gusto. Wake up all your children. (laughs) Somebody's crying now. (laughs) They're watching Uh, fucking Encanto in the living room. Well, they've seen it before, so... Put on blue, blue we don't talk about Bruno playing in the background, so... <laughs> okay, good. But anyway, at least you brought some gusto. I know it's been a day. Breathe. It's been a day. We're, but it's been a while okay. since we've had Movie Fight. I even included your your very sexy headline you wanted on here. Uh, Fang February. Fang February. I figured yellow January. I <laughs> you did a lot of work on this, so I Fang included February. it. You know, Wow, people are really getting behind the scenes of how our notes going back and forth work each week. It's very... <laughs> this, is, this is the one behind the curtain. I like it. <laughs> People deserve that after after I, sticking with it. You know what? That. I spitballed Fang February, and you just went with it, and I wasn't going to hold you back. Yeah, you know, I'm doing it. And then I jumped off. And I said, "Forget love. Let's just talk about sex. Sexy sex. vampire flicks." And this—that's what that note was. Sexy vampire flicks. It wasn't Dude. an opening to another topic. It was the heading <laughs> of our two. For this fight. one. So who's fighting? Well, guess what? We don't just have vampires, sexy vampires. We have a sexy vampire. Three-way. We are going Bram Stoker's Dracula. We are going Interview with a Vampire. All versus Daughters of Darkness. And the reason- Only one can survive. The reason that's particularly exciting is that was two emails ago. We actually shortened it to just Dracula and Daughters of Darkness in the last one. But I'm going with your note. (laughs) 
<laughs> in fact, you shortened it, not me. <laughs> but let's do it. This is the Royal Rumble. Let's enter the fray. The Royal Rumble. <laughs> I'm looking at my notes going, wait, I've limited it to two. Anyway, uh, this is much more fun. So we have three movies. Uh, I mean, again, this will probably come down to when you're born with interview. Because, like, if you know, there's obviously a whole lot of eye candy on, on things. Okay. I say that we kick off here with Bram Stoker's Dracula, though, because this is the one that I think cons- people consider to be the most classic. Like, yeah. this is the one that Modern I classic, people for sure. consider just to be, like, a great, undeniable movie. Yeah. Um, which is great and undeniable. But I have to say, it does not hold a candle to 1994 Brad Pitt with long hair. See, that's where I'm going to... Like, this, this could just come down to what your vibes are, but, like... Like Winona's good. I, I like the romance between Winona and Gary Oldman for sure. But what I really like in this is I like Monica Bellucci, a very young Monica Bellucci as one of the three really scary, creepy uh, vampires who kind mm-hmm. of just take the man in the bed. I like them, but you know who I find this and this might be a bad sign for me because it, it's definitely a little more like that bad movie, the beast or whatever. But I found whoever played Lucy to be incredibly sexy. And there's a scene mm-hmm. where he's like, he's the wolf and he's getting her and it's like really kind of scary and disturbing. But I always found that like her character to be like the one in this whole movie who was by far the most appealing in that way. And I remember being disturbed by that part. So I don't know. I feel like there's like something for everyone along this movie. It depends what you, it depends on your taste, I guess. Cause Gary Oldman's definitely not somebody we think of now as a sexy figure, but in that film, he, there's some real power to him. Wait, what? You think Gary Oldman is sexy in that film? Yeah. He traveled oceans of time to be with her. Okay. Um, Does not hold a candle to, um, you know, Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise, but Brad Pitt and Christian Slater all in one movie. This was like the hot dude trifecta of 1994. Um, So this one... And I will say, I'm still, I still have to work myself through Daughters of Darkness here. But Interview with a Vampire, when it came out in 1994, made me read an entire series of books that I don't think I would have otherwise read. Like, this was the twilight of my teen years. Um, so, yeah, I'm a little partial to this one, just because this had everything. They go to the fucking Grand Gignol at one point. Um, it was just so sexy. And such good hair. Yeah, it could be like having really attractive men and the only, I don't even think there's really a woman, female character. It's just a little girl, which didn't help. It doesn't help raise my platform. There's a woman who's in there somewhere that they get to be like the little girl's caretaker. And I can't even remember her character name. Um, I've only seen this once in the theater. Not the focal point. I saw it once in the theater. Didn't, isn't a big turn on to me. I don't get me wrong. I can totally see why Brad put in this. Though I I think. Isn't Antonio? Banderas oh, he is. Yeah, he's well. the other one. Yeah, yeah. Banderas. Quarfecta. Quartet. So we're putting that male quartet up against the female quartet of Brand Stoker's Dracula. And now let's move to uh, something that gets all sorts of kinks and goes all sorts of directions. It goes uh, every, every way you can go in Daughters of Darkness. So Daughters of Darkness is what I love in vampire films. Yeah. It is um, a lot of style. And some substance, but uh, just a fuck ton of style. It is um, two female vampires who have been around for a very long time. They don't need to say much because they can just do it all with their looks and their really red lipstick. Um, It is all kind of sex, but the sex is a little bit 
subdued under um, just kind of glances. Like it's it's very sexualized, but it's not at the forefront of the movie. Except um, when she starts turning. So Delphine Sirig, who's a great French mm-hmm. actress, she has just the best gowns or whatever you call them. One is like silver tassel and like mm-hmm. sparkles, you know, but she's like this very old, uh, she has so much power when she starts turning both, she's trying to turn both of them sexually, but she turns, there's a husband and wife or partners who come to this um estate or this motel or whatever it is it's like a seaside hotel. yeah and she starts turning and i and i think it's very charged both people she mm-hmm. turns there's a real eroticism to it and it's just photographed so beautifully that to me that's pro- of all these movies those scenes are the sexiest but they're cold they're very cold like it's a cold yeah. style you know to it no this movie it simmers the entire time and i will say that is something that is a little bit absent from interview with a vampire is we feel how sexy brad pitt and tom cruise's characters are and antonio banderas like we feel this sexuality from them um but it's not necessarily used in a vampire romantic type of way um more and much more of like a feral sense throughout much of the movie and they're still charming and they're still seductive and everything, but um, love is not, it's much more of like love with something from their prior lives that you engaged in when you were human and now you're a vampire and you're going to live for a hundred years and you just want to see the sunset um, again. But I think so, it's also like, you know, obviously people have colored it post that time period, but it's like mm-hmm. simmering, simmering gay romance, but they don't, you don't see it on screen because there's clearly a chemistry between those two characters. Yeah. Know? There so. is very much and lovers quarrels happening throughout. And yeah, I've read that, um, that kind of take on it. And I genuinely can see that in there. I, this um, is going to be a hard one because I don't know if we'll all land on the same place. I know which one I'm gunning for. And uh, yeah, it's, this is going to be a tough one, but honestly, if I have to say one vampire film gets to survive, I don't think the world is right without daughters of darkness, because I feel like all vampire films come from that type of, vampire film that we see in the 1970s the very euro trashy john roland is where i think the vampire sexuality kind of starts yes if we're talking sexy i can get on the same page here so i don't i I, we're just talking on on the sexy element and just there's something about the atmosphere of this one i'm with you let's both get turned by delphi's saring let's do it hell yeah all right let's do it daughters of darkness for the win sorry pit Yep. It's okay. It'll work out for you, buddy. <laughs> It'll work out, man. Okay. <laughs> you'll be okay. Christian Slater too. You'll you'll yes, you'll they all bounce back. It's they all okay. do well. No. Um before we part tonight, I want to give a quick shout out because I haven't been seeing um this get much attention on um socials, but any chance that I can kind of give love to this movie, uh Abby, um, the black exploitation film from nineteen seventy-four, directed by William Girdler. The lead film star who played Abby, Carol Speed, passed away this week. Um, I'm just going to take this as a moment to say, if you have not seen Abby, it's not a romance film exactly, but it's um, it's just a damn good. Weirdly enough, you could almost say it is because her husband has to like really like fight hard to stay with her because he actually Mm -hmm. does love his wife, even though she turns into this like (laughs) very uh, vampish, horish character, which is kind of an amazing. It's one of the most amazing on-screen performances I've ever seen. Such a good performance. Easy for people. People to write and make a joke of that movie, but you know, it's a total exorcist ripoff, a black version of exorcist that made a bunch of money and then got pulled. But, but at the core, she does a really good job. It's really funny. It's entertaining. And I saw her in something else not long after where she was playing like um, a prostitute. And I, as soon as I saw her, it made me happy because she just had a, she has a really lightness about her um, as a performer. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I just had read that too. 
Yeah, she was in um, Disco Godfather. Like I've yeah. seen her in a Might number of that. kind of the, the black exploitation films. I know she was in Big Bird Cage, Dynamite Brothers. So yeah, so um, yeah she definitely did a bunch within that kind of grouping, but just a really good actress uh, across the board, um, yeah. especially comes to the forefront in Abby. So worth checking out and, and she will be missed. Um, okay. So with that, that was a show. Well, you ended on a good deep cut too. <laughs> yes, that was, that was a good I one. I love it when we can give peek, uh, peek behind the curtain of our chaos. Um, but that's good. <laughs> that's what we do on Patreon. It's not, you know, it's not always chaos. Usually our Patreon show is a little bit more chaotic. It's shorter. Usually but yeah. with these shows, it's a lot more prepared and we have scripts. But I will say we had one topic and then had to scratch that topic and go with last night. And yeah. so, <laughs> last night, really late. So um, this was a fun topic, was, and people got some. This was a little time, bit right? wilder, but yeah, yeah, it was it was fun. Yeah, so, but um, it's all yeah. good, and we appreciate you sticking with us. And like we said, if you can't get enough, if this ends and you need more content, there is a whole bunch of shows over on the Patreon, and there are lots of the more obscure picks on there. And it's mm-hmm. always fun, and we're always doing our little search for uh, deep dives over there. So it's a good time. Thank you so much for joining with us and sticking through. And uh, we will be back in two weeks. Hey, there's a new movie coming to Netflix that everybody's really excited about. Maybe we should think about doing a show about that. Yeah, we got to come up with that with B, but I am very interested because it is family. It is family. Have a good night, y'all. The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soth of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. Hurtado.